Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and thank you for joining us on the latest Hawk Central Radio Hour right here on 106.3 KXNO, podcast-only edition for the second straight week as women's basketball schedules continue to try to mess with our Wednesday night routine on the air, but uh, time and time again, we do like to get you a fresh episode on Wednesdays when possible. We're here to do that for you today. can't remember if I introduced myself. I'm Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, sports columnist. Uh, lots to discuss tonight, from football to men's basketball to women's basketball. Uh, full disclosure, we're recording this around 10.30 a.m. on Wednesday. So just like the rest of you, we are waiting until Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz settles on hiring the fourth offensive coordinator of his tenure. Kirk Ferentz in Omaha today to honor Reese Morgan, the recipient of the 2023 Tom Osborne Legacy Award. So unlikely Kirk will be like available today. So, um, you know, not necessarily anticipating, but you never know. These things can leak out whenever, uh, whoever, whatever. Uh, Let's talk OC and the QB. Tyler Tashman of the Des Moines Register going to join me. Right now, uh, busy week. We're kind of anticipating a busy week. Tyler, uh, how's it been going for you? Man, I've I've survived the snowmageddon. Uh, I think at least so <laughs> think, far. Yeah. This is probably, if not the the most snow I've seen, top two. So this is this is quite interesting for me. All right, you grew up in North Carolina, so obviously it doesn't snow a ton there. What was the We're, what's the other one in the top two? Uh, I was in Colorado when, but I was like really young, so I don't remember it a lot. But like the thing is, in in North Carolina, it would be like. Snow would be predicted, and that, and school would be canceled. So, <laughs> and like, and like, and and the uh, grocery stores would be mobbed. Like, there would be no toilet paper left. Like, the thing is, like, people in the South don't really, they don't know how to deal with snow. So, I feel like I've almost like, you can tell people around here know how to deal with. That. I feel like that's given me a little bit more of a calming sense, and you know, helped me deal with it as well. <laughs> you stocked up on bread, salmon milk yeah i mean i was actually i walked to the grocery store yesterday but it was like when it was still snowing it felt like i was just like walking through a blizzard but <laughs> i couldn't like you kind of were by yeah. the end of it. <laughs> and it was like it reminded me of the the nebraska game uh because that was like freezing it was no snow but i mean it was yeah the That's weather right. here is is yes yeah, it's, it's it's no joke yeah, a little bit, a little bit colder and snowier than Bloomington, Indiana, I suppose. But uh, you know, it's going to be a crazy week. Uh, we're going to get in some of these basketball games. But yeah, the temps don't look good for any of the three basketball games: Friday, Saturday, Monday, this coming weekend. But let's talk a little football first. Um, you know, last week on our radio show, <laughs> uh, the Ty Thompson drama did not last very long, did it? Uh, the Oregon transfer ends up at Tulane. Uh, he, you know, canceled his visit to Iowa to, to make that commitment. So, uh, you know, where we talked about how much they need more quarterback options, uh, you know, given the struggles of Deacon Hill, the injury history of Cade McNamara, the uncertainty of, you know, how quickly Marco Linas will develop as a, a true freshman. So I don't know. What do you see as the, you know, let's talk about the best options now. Uh, you know, classes start Tuesday, so it's hard to, you know, I'm not hearing any buzz that there's another quarterback on the way. So, a little concerning? Well, they, I mean, it needs to get better. And, and whatever route Iowa chooses to, chooses to take, which is through the portal, internal development, which has not been a strength um, for Iowa in the quarterback room, you know, over the last few years, it, it needs to get better. They need to have a, a better second option because I, I just don't think – 
at this point, um, at least from the outside, you feel comfortable with Deacon Hill either being the starter or the number two going into next season. So maybe it's Marco Linez. Um, and, and remember, I think if Cade McNamara can get healthy, that's obviously a, a big step in the right direction. But this is the second consecutive season that he's had season season ending injuries from based on my understanding uh his his recovery is going very well um but i think you have to plan if you're iowa for him not to be ready game one and who who could be that guy that you feel comfortable with starting if need be um and then if kate is ready that's a plus but um you know maybe that's marco linez I, i don't know with james razor coming in if if you feel comfortable with probably not with a, a true freshman, but there there needs it needs to be better and, and maybe this becomes more clear as, as the next offensive coordinator uh comes into place, but you know, somehow it needs to get better and I think that's blatantly clear from what we've seen the last two seasons. Yeah, the so the McNamara injury was September thirtieth against Michigan State. He didn't have surgery for about two and a half weeks. So mid October Add nine months uh, for like a full recovery, you would hope. So that's mid-June at that point, um, right? I'm doing the math right there. It was mid-July. Mid, yeah, October, yeah, mid-July. So that's not, I mean, that's about when fall camp pretty much gets going. So, you know, he you're counting on him to be full speed when you – you know, maybe going to miss conditioning in the summer, probably going to miss spring practice, probably be throwing out there a little bit, maybe even in seven on seven somewhat, but I don't know. Yeah, it it is concerning uh, for sure. And that gets to the important piece of the offensive coordinator, Tyler. And um, I, I keep getting asked about it. Obviously, you know, when we know, we'll let people know we're not going to hide it from people. And I don't think we'd be able to hide it from people <laughs> uh, if, if there was a hire. So, um, you know, I, I think probably end of this week, early next week is is the best time frame. But obviously, whoever this offensive coordinator is, Paul Chris, Joe Philbin, um, someone else, you know, is going to have a challenge on his hands. And, you know, it, it probably isn't helping matters that the quarterback situation is not super great right now. With, with the lead up to Cade, and let's say he is healthy for – week one, but you're looking at kind of the similar, similar circumstances to this past season where he just doesn't have a full off season to get his feet underneath, you know, his, his legs underneath him. And, and we saw that early in this season where he wasn't exactly the guy that I would need him to be, but it, I think it's hard to blame him because he had the quad issue leading up to uh, the season that he missed time with. He, he had a season ending injury the, you know, in 2022 uh, and it was just easy to see things kind of snowball on top of each other. And that just makes it hard for a guy to get into a rhythm, to really get comfortable, to get back into the flow of the game. I mean, he, over the last two seasons, has played very limited, meaningful snaps. And that's the thing that worries me a little bit coming into uh, this next season is that you are you might run into the exact same issue where it's just a guy that has not had a lot of game reps, has not had a chance just – really immerse himself in the game on on and get in a rhythm and maybe he is able to stay healthy and get into that rhythm eventually but uh he just was never able to get into that and that's why i think uh it's even more important to have a, you know a, a better b option a better c option a better d option all the way down to z because you don't want to get stuck in the same circumstances that you did uh this past season where uh Kate goes down and and you know you're left with a guy that just isn't ready to produce in, in the spotlight. Well, the, the offensive coordinator, obviously we're going to talk a ton about that whenever it, it hits. Um, but in the last week, there's been a lot of football news that we need to get to, which um, three Hawkeye defenders all confirm they will come back for their sixth-year senior seasons. Uh, major pieces, Sebastian Castro, Nick Jackson, and Quinn Schulte. Uh, these are... A long time producing players, you know, Castro might be, you know, the best player in that bunch, but certainly Jackson and Schulte are as solid as they come on the field with their knowledge of the game, with their tackling ability. 
man, uh, I don't know where do you start uh, when when I know you wrote a piece about this, Tyler, about uh, you know Tyler Barnes basically going six for seven uh, on the batting average in keeping guys that they wanted to keep, and um, you know it seems like a really positive development for a team that uh, you know want you know wants to contend for a college football playoff spot uh, in the twelve team format in two thousand twenty four. I mean, and I think the credit really goes to Iowa, and what, what stood out to me was that they they took a swing in, in trying a path that, that is harder to execute in, in the modern landscape of, of college football and college sports, is that putting faith in the ability to bring back guys on our, that are already on the roster. Um, and, and that's become more difficult with, uh, you know, the landscape of guys being able to transfer um, and, and maybe more specifically in this case of just guys that could have moved on from the program, whether that you know be to try to uh, pursue a professional career or, or what have you. But um, that's not easy to do this this time of you know history in college sports. And I will put a lot of faith into that. Tyler Barnes basically said when we talked to him uh, on signing day that he had put all of his you know resources into re-recruiting guys. Uh, on the roster. He wasn't even really looking at the portal. And honestly, I think the guys that I would try to retain were better than 95% at least of the guys that they could have even gotten in the portal. So it was a little bit of a risk because if you miss on those guys that, that you want to just come back, um, you're left to scramble a little bit in the portal, but um, it, it, it paid off. And I think I was, you know, I was defense. It has a chance to be better than it was this past season, which is kind of crazy to say, but it's also, it, it, I feel like it widens the margin for air for Iowa's offense even more next season when you look at, uh, you know, a new offensive coordinator coming in and you know, a unit just trying to gain any type of momentum, get up, get back on its feet. Um, that's going to be quite the luxury to have a defense that is going to allow you to make a lot of mistakes, to be able to work through mistakes, because that's what happened this season, but it, it, it might even give even more room to do that as Iowa tries to kind of embark on a new era of offense. What do you think of, you know, Michigan obviously wins the national title, beats Washington 34-13, to 13, um, over 300 yards rushing alone in the game. Um, you know, as you watch that, I got a lot of feedback in my text group, and, and I saw it in other places too. Just, uh, man, this Iowa defense held that Michigan offense to 213 yards in Indy. So, um, did you get that same feeling that I think a lot of people did, which is, you know, uh, the defense can win you a, a championship if you just have the offense. I think we've been saying that for a long time, but did, uh, or did you feel like maybe Michigan um, held back a little bit against Iowa, knowing it really didn't have to do much to win that game? I'm going to give a little, this is a little long Wednesday, a little, a, a little complicated, but if you're if you've been on social media, you've probably seen the meme of Adam Silver that says like, "Get ready to learn Chinese, buddy." It's not he didn't actually say that, but basically it's like people post that if an NBA player is like not playing well and they're probably gonna have to go play overseas or that it's just it's kind of a joke. But uh, the reason I bring that up it was kind of like to Washington like get ready to learn Big Ten, buddy, because um, it's it's a different game in the Big Ten like in in terms of just having to have defense and now with obviously Washington coming in the conference, Oregon, uh, UCLA, USC, um, it's going to be interesting to see how kind of some clashing of styles works because they're going to have to play more defense than they were accustomed to. And I think the national championship game was a pretty uh, strong wake up call of just what's ahead for them. And, And it does bode well, I think for the way Iowa plays that, um, that Michigan won. It was a good indication that defense carries. Um, obviously, the offense needs to get a lot better, but when you look at the clashing of styles, the Big Ten style uh, was pretty clearly the one that uh, prevailed. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that was a point that uh, I've been sort of crafting with whoever the offensive coordinator hire is, is that you can still win with that. You know, you you got to own the line of scrimmage. It's very rare to kind of have an offense like Washington's, for example, which just relies so much on the pass, and um, it's it's great. But uh, you you know, winning the line of scrimmage, winning the battle in the trenches on both sides of the football, 
still is the easiest, I want to say easiest, but cleanest, simplest path, I should say, to winning a lot of games. And I think Iowa, for the most part, has figured that out, especially on defense. they got to figure out the offensive line still. It's not in a great spot. But, you know, I think whoever the offensive coordinator is does need to kind of embrace. Um, I, I think they will embrace that, and I think that validates kind of Kirk Ferentz's approach. And, um, you know, I'd like to just see – you know, a fresh set of eyes on this whole thing and and you know, try to get the offense moving again. And with that, uh, I did post my projected starting lineups uh, plus top reserves for the 2024 Hawkeyes. It was, you know, once everybody decided it was a lot easier, and that's why I waited to do it because there were so many, like, on-the-fence decisions that sway the roster one way or another. So it's kind of pointless to put that out, and then two decisions are made and 12 hours later, and then that's moot. So uh, I like... You know, obviously the the defense looks pretty incredible in terms of returning pieces. Um, let's start on that side of the ball. The offense we know is a concern anyway, but uh, where do you see like Iowa being, you know, at its best next year defensively? Um, you lose, you do lose Cooper DeGene though, and you do lose Joe Evans. There are those are two significant pieces. Uh, Logan Lee, the other defensive starter, not coming back. Uh, going to the NFL. So those three guys uh, taking their talents to the NFL, hopefully for them. But uh, where you know where do you think this defense really can be its strongest next year? For sure. I think that's where you start with, with Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson coming back because that was just um, for a duo playing their first season of football together in 2023. I mean, it was pretty remarkable how effective they were. So Having those guys kind of back in the heart of the defense to me that those are gonna that's the, that's the heartbeat of Iowa's defense. Um, but then yeah, I think you need to replace some uh, production on the defensive line, and maybe that's a guy like Aaron Graves stepping up. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about Brian Allen. Maybe he's a guy that emerges. Um, the one thing I also wanted to bring up was you know, I know there was some discussion with Quinn Schulte coming back of. Well, where does Cohen Entringer fit into the um, into the form? You know, into kind of how things are played out. And the thing I will say is that, and this is not you know any breaking news or anything, but it's not a bad thing to have depth, right? Because mm-hmm. um, Iowa's safeties were were they played started every game this season. Quinn Schulte, Xavier Wampa, Wampa played through an injury, um, but we saw how in defensive backs with you know with uh, Cooper getting hurt, or and there were some guys kind of beaten up on the defensive line that it it carries to have depth because I, I don't necessarily think that people would have anticipated Deshaun Lee being a guy that was going to be a major impact guy coming into the season, um, and, and he made a handful of starts and, and was really uh, gave right reason to be kind of optimistic about what uh, the tandem that Iowa has coming into 2024. But so I think you know you don't. You never wish for anyone to get hurt, but to have Entringer as a guy that you could plug in if someone gets hurt, uh, you know, I think that's a real luxury. And also, he had mentioned leading up to bowl prep that uh, he had he had been playing some cash, mm-hmm. and so you know there were some packages this past season where Iowa took out Nick Jackson, put in Kyler Fisher. Maybe you could see the t- same type of thing with Cohen Entringer, where uh, you know pass heavy downs. Uh, you you put in uh, entering or a guy that is uh, has a more ability to be able to you know to be effective in coverage. So um, while you know I do see you know the questions of, of how does he fit in, but I, I think that there's you know that's that's a good problem to have, and I think that if, if he is ready to be on the field, Phil Parker will get him on the field. Great point. Yeah, Entringer has been working at Cash as well. He would have been the backup to Castro at Cash uh, if need be. So, yeah, he'd basically be the top backup at this point for all three positions, um, assuming he's healthy. Uh, the the biggest concern I suppose I would have is probably pass rush. Uh, you, you lose Joe Evans, a 28-sack guy over his career. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that, that had a lot of production but coming back, you know, Deontay Craig only had three sacks this past season. That's that's not a great number. I think I expected him to be a little bit higher there. I know he struggled with some injuries late in the season, so 
obviously, you know, put that into the equation. But and then Ethan Herkett, really good player, no sacks this year, one career sack. He he kind of moves into that starting role, presumably. And uh, so you just like to see a little bit more production off the edge. Iowa doesn't have that elite pass rusher like an AJ Epinesa, not even an Anthony Nelson, not even a Chauncey Golston right now as it stands. Now there's some development that could be done. Uh, we're going to see, you know, this is a big period for development, uh, as you mentioned. Um, but uh, so the defensive ends a concern and defensive tackle depth is a concern as well. Obviously, you know, Graves and YA Black, who, uh, you know, coaches were really excited when YA decided to come back. I don't think people thought about him as an NFL guy, but uh, that's a guy that's six five, three fifteen, and uh, you know, a fourth year junior. He could have turned pro, uh, taken his shot at the next level. He he decides to come back as well. So between him and Graves, you obviously feel really good there. But they got to develop some depth at that D tackle position with Ontario Thompson transferring. Where'd he end up? Like Western Michigan, Central Michigan, one of those, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you know Jer- uh, Jeremiah Pittman ended up being that third guy or fourth guy this year, but he didn't play many snaps. So uh, they're going to have to to fast track him a little bit more on the D tackle spot. And then last thing, uh, Tyler, you know, cornerback is good, but you don't have that elite guy necessarily in Cooper DeGene coming back. So again, you want to see development there, Ken. You know, Jamari Harris be great. Can Deshaun Lee maybe pack on a few pounds and be a lot better? He was good, but can he be a lot better? Can TJ Hall stay healthy and maybe be a factor? Can someone, John Nestor, the guy that, that came up uh, during bull prep, maybe he could be, you know, the next, uh, I guess he's gotten the Riley Moss comparisons, right? So, you know, that's, you know, you trust Phil Parker in his development there, but those are kind of the concerns I see about this Iowa defense. And you do have to, you know, eventually get like an extra linebacker there, you know, on the four, three sets. So maybe that's a Jaden Harrell. Maybe that's a Carson Shire. You do have to rely on your depth going forward, but that's kind of Iowa's, you you feel pretty good about them to be able to develop guys that are ready to go uh, come August 31st. And one of the the big aspects I feel like they can, that, that maybe they weren't as good as they should have been this past season was forcing turnovers. They, They, I mean, they didn't, necessarily force them at a prolific rate and I feel like that's something that Iowa can really improve on next season and maybe take that step between to, to be the best defense in the nation maybe right because it's not there's not a wide margin for error because Iowa was very good but that's something that I feel like you know Iowa can really benefit off of and um, just being able to force turnovers and, and maybe the defensive line was a part of that because um, the, the defensive line, I think, was probably the most underperforming, you guess, I guess you could say, position group. Not that it was bad by any means, but um, so maybe that's a part of it, of getting pressure, uh, you know, creating some of those turnovers. It also felt like there was a lot of just very makeable uh, takeaways Iowa had that it missed on. So, But I feel like that's one, you know, when you look at how can the defense possibly get better next season, uh, you don't, ter- forcing turnovers, I feel like, is a, is a big one. Let's move to offense here, Tyler. Um, uh, special teams, you think, are probably in pre-season hands with Drew Stevens and Reese Dake and uh, the heir apparent to Tory Taylor. So let's move to offense. Obviously, we talked about quarterback already. Definitely want to see, you know, Marco Limez at least elevate to number two at this point behind Cade McNamara and, you know, maybe push him for, for the starting nod come August. But uh, where do you want to start on offense as far as uh, – uh, may, I don't, wherever you want to start, I'll let you take it, take it, and then I'll uh, build off whatever you talk about. I think yeah, beyond um, quarterback play, you, you probably look at wide receiver play as, as one of the biggest concerns. Uh, you have Caleb Brown, Seth Anderson, two guys that were well, Caleb Brown. I mean, I think he's probably pretty clearly your number one guy. The way that he came on the the back season, just really showing that kind of dynamic ability. And Seth Anderson was a guy that. Charleston Southern transfer. He he showed flashes early in the season, kind of fell into the shadows uh, toward the back end of the season. But I think you can feel confident, or at least some op- somewhat optimistic about what he can bring. And you have some younger guys, Jacob Bostic, um, Jarrett Bowie, um, that that you hope you can develop going into next season. But 
um, that, that's a real position group that, I mean, they, they underperformed. They, they did not do many favors for uh, the quarterback, you know, a very struggle, struggling quarterback play uh, this past season. So, you know, maybe you go into the portal and try to get someone. Maybe you, you know, it's just a, a matter of development. But that to me is, you know, being able to help the quarterback to, to get plays downfield, some explosive plays, getting separation from uh, defensive backs. I mean, that's that's a that's a major concern coming into next season for me. Yeah, the three wide receivers I put kind of in the starting lineup. That's obviously when Iowa goes eleven personnel would be Jacob Bostic. Caleb Brown and Seth Anderson. So those are kind of the top three. I see certainly other names, you know, can pop in there. You know, Jared Bowie got a few snaps this year. You know, we know Alec Wick is in the program, but you still, yeah. I, I guess my hope at, for the for the team is that Caleb Brown really becomes that number one guy, kind of that, you know, six seven catches a game type of guy where he's pushing, you know, sixty catches maybe, you know, next year. I know that's a lot to ask, but he had twenty one in November and December, so it's not that out of the ordinary considering he emerged kind of late you know five six seven a game um so i'd like to see that and then i i mean i feel like bostic has enough upside anderson has upside that we've seen uh at least there's potential there it's not like the cupboard is completely bare but tight end you got to feel great about luke lachey coming back is so huge for this team and i think addison Estrenga fits to me perfectly as a number two tight end and he was fine as the number one He's going to develop. He's going to be better as a junior. But he was a pretty good blocker, and I think that allows Lachey to flourish a little bit more you know, in space and with his height and his athleticism to just sort of be that you know, Sam Laporta type of guy where he, he's a good blocker, but he's, he's a better pass catcher and, uh, and even a guy with the, better with the football in his hands making yards after the catch. I think that that tight end duo has the potential to be sort of like a Laporta Lachey duo that um, you know was a few years, few seasons ago. Um, you know that really was able to kind of play off each other and have two major weapons. It felt like that could have happened with Lachey and Eric all this season, but obviously both of them uh, had their seasons cut short, and, and that tight end depth was really depleted. But um, I guess I'll move to offensive line and and. and I don't want to paint like an overly optimistic picture or anything, but the the O line did improve this past season. Obviously, what that's being compared to, uh, is, you know, is a pretty low starting point. It did get better this season, which I think was an, an encouraging sign. But I feel like this past season, really, the the biggest concerns, if I had to rank them, I think you put quarterback play at one wide receiver place at two and then I think probably at three was the O line. So it wasn't it wasn't the biggest issue on offense and that was a compliment, but I think it I don't think it's where it's still not where it needs to be. It needs to get better. Uh, it needs to to show improvement off of what it was able to take for this season or this past season. I think it was kind of, you know, the offensive line play was kind of exposed a little bit in that Tennessee game. Um, it just felt like they're I mean, there was just not much running room. Uh, a lot of times that the quarterback was pressured, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that that's a storyline, I think. And you're losing losing Rusty Seth, who was an impact kind of transfer uh, this past season. Um, so that's that's going to be important too, as far as with the uncertainty of who's that quarterback, um, being able to protect them. You hope that whoever's back there will be able to be mobile a little bit, but. Um, you know, it, it, it might not be that way. So the, the O-line play, I think, you know, if it can continue to build off of what the improvements it made this season would be great, but it, it, it needs to still get better. That would be the one plus, or maybe not one plus, but a plus of a Joe Philbin hire at offensive coordinator. He has the offensive line background, but you would need a quarterback's coach to go with him if it is Philbin. Um, you know, Richmond – at left tackle, Logan Jones at center, Connor Colby at right guard, and uh, Jennings Dunker at right tackle would seem to be solidified starters. The coaches do trust them quite a bit, so I think the biggest competition then becomes at left guard, which uh, you see potentially Tyler Ellsbury, potentially Bo Stevens coming off injury, and Nick DeYoung, of course, came back for his sixth year. Could see him being maybe a swing tackle 
and a rotational guy at guard as well. And obviously you want to see like Cade Peeper, a guy that emerged at potentially as a guard. And on the outside, you know, how does how is Trevor Locke, um, you know, progressing uh, after his true freshman year? This will be his first spring to really, you know, get a feel for, you know, Big Ten play and, and maybe getting some, some rot- rotational reps. Uh, I'd like to see him develop quickly at tackle because I do feel like Iowa needs – Needs to be better at tackle. Um, read my 2024 outline to kind of see, you know, pretty. I was pr- kind of cut to the chase on where guys need to get better and and where they're good. And um, you know, running back is the last position on offense we haven't talked a bunch about here. And I like that room. It's just crowded right now, and I think it's. It, I think the competition is going to help. I wouldn't be surprised if someone leaves after spring practice. But uh, excited to see, you know, where the offensive co- coordinator can take this room. As well, uh, given you know the the number of bodies in there, Caleb Johnson, LeSean Williams, Jazzy and Patterson, Kamari Moulton, Terrell Washington Jr. Yeah, and I think you feel really confident with LeSean and Caleb, uh, you know, being the top two guys, and then uh, Jazz Patterson behind them. But uh, what I would hope to see um, going into next season, is I, you know, Caleb Johnson getting a bigger workload, and I think. There were a bunch of factors that went into that into that this season. One was that Caleb Johnson dealt with injuries. The other was that LeSean Williams really he was one of the bright spots of the offense. I think you know he was he outperformed what a lot of people expected. Um, but also it just you know there was the the Northwestern game where you know Caleb just was a non-factor and and it just I don't know it 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 felt like when he was healthy he didn't get the consistent carries that would allow him to get into a rhythm. So. You know, interested to see as as a guy that people thought could have broken out last season that didn't happen. Will that be able to happen next season? Um, and then you know, Kamari Moulton, Terrell Washington Jr., two guys that kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit this past season as really young guys. I think they're as far as the future of the room. There's reason to be optimistic as well because those guys have gotten some meaningful experience probably before that before. Uh, a lot of people expected in their career. So um, top to bottom, that, that room is really strong. You're listening to Chad Leistico and Tyler Tashman of the Des Moines Register here on Hawk Central Podcast Edition on uh, 106.3 KXNO. Hawkeye men's basketball uh, logged its first Big Ten win of the season, 86-77 to over Rutgers the other day. Box score looked like a winning box score, Tyler. Peyton Sanford, uh, 24 points, 8 rebounds, 8-12 from the floor was hot from deep. Uh, that's what you want to see. I think that's you. You tweeted this, and I think that's really key you know, to everything Iowa does. Is if he's hot, Iowa's got a chance. If he's not, uh, it's hard to piece together enough scoring to overcome the bad defense. Uh, Tony per- Perkins had 15. Owen Freeman 15. Double double for Brent Ben Cricky, 19 points, 10 rebounds. And uh, there was no Patrick McCaffrey on the court. So it seemed like uh, the team responded to, to not having Pat out with an illness. And I liked what I saw out there from, from the starting five. How about you? Yeah, to go on your point, uh, you know, about Peyton, you know, I, I, I strongly believe that he is the single most important player to Iowa's success this season. And this, that's not to take anything away from Ben Cricky, who has been really good, Tony Perkins, starting to play with a little bit more consistency, which is which is huge, and he can impact the game in a lot of different ways. And then Owen Freeman just continues to uh, be really good as a freshman and a reason to be excited about the future. But Peyton Sanford just, I mean, he just has kind of an, uh, an ability to just go nuclear offensively that, that changes the game for Iowa, that when he is clicking, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's hard to stop Iowa, and it's hard to stop him. I feel like his ability to score at a consistent clip at a high rate uh, is going to be a major factor in whether Iowa is able to kind of turn this thing around and get moving toward the NCAA tournament or whether they're just going to kind of continue to sink in, in mediocrity. So, you know, to me, he is the, the, the single most important piece right now for what to do this season. Uh, Josh Dix got the start. I, th- I still want him to look for a shot a little bit more, but uh, that was interesting. I thought maybe we'd see more DeSante Bowen and Brock Harding. Why Why do you feel like uh, 
uh, Fran has sort of limit. You know, Brock Harding had some really good games in there, and his his minutes have have not been great. Desante Bowen, you know, I feel like I want to see him play more. But why do you why do you think that that is happening with you know Harding getting fewer minutes? I think part of it is the fact, and this is, I would maybe say a good problem to have that Iowa just has more depth than it had last season. Last season, it, it was not deep at all. This season, Iowa goes, I mean, basically, it can go 10 deep. It could even go 11 if you include Evan Bronze in that. So um, you have Tony Perkins who can play point. You have Josh Dix who can play point. You have DeSante Bowen who can play point. And you also have Brock Harding. So uh, when you take when you take Bowen or Dix out of the starting lineup, which has been the case when, when Patrick McCaffrey was health, healthy, and Owen Freeman was put in the starting lineup. Then you have three of those guys coming off the bench, which could uh, limit some of those minutes. Uh, now, Josh Diggs did start uh, in the uh, in the last game against Rutgers, but uh, there's just more options, and I think that's one of the reasons that Fran McCaffrey just kind of has to figure out, hey, who's going to get this many minutes versus who's going to get this many minutes? And I think, like I said, that's not a bad problem to have, but it's one that it just becomes a matter of prioritizing, hey, who deserves the most minutes out of this group who, are, who is maybe going to have to be cut back a little bit. And it might might have to be just kind of on a game-by-game basis where you play it by ear and, and stay with the hot hand. So the Hawkeyes up next, 8.30 p.m. Friday, matchup against Nebraska at Carver-Hawkeye. We talked about last week this is a three-game stretch. We'd like to see Iowa go 3-0. and They go 1-0 against Rutgers. Can they beat Nebraska at home? And then they go up to Minnesota on Monday on MLK Day. So a chance to get back to 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten. But, Tyler, <laughs> last night uh, Nebraska upsets number one ranked Purdue and kind of blew them out. So uh, maybe that's a good result for Iowa, or is that a more concerning result for Iowa? You know, a team coming off a, a, an emotional win, usually like to catch those teams, but at the same time, Nebraska might be pretty good. I do agree. I think Nebraska is good, but as crazy as it sounds, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing that they beat Purdue because that the, the Big Ten is just crazy, and it wouldn't surprise me if after that big emotional win, it was at Nebraska, they stormed the court. I mean, that just sets up like the perfect circumstances to go to Iowa and have a letdown, so... Um, it is going to be a challenge because um, Tominaga is really good for Nebraska. C.J. Wilcher was hot against Purdue. Jawan Gary has been playing well. Uh, Nebraska is, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, Fred, Fred Hoiberg is, is finally kind of seeing the fruits of, of the struggles that Nebraska's had, and this looks like a legit team. So Iowa is not, you know, by any means going to be a cakewalk, but just because of how weird the Big Ten is, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all for Purdue or for Nebraska to come off of that big win over Purdue and then just drop a dud against Iowa. <laughs> well, we'll see. It'll be uh, interesting um, to see what the crowd's like. Another you know bad winter day expected on Friday. Ken Palm does project project Tyler an eighty four to eighty three Iowa win. So at least we're going to see some points on Friday, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking they almost should maybe do another crossover at Kinnick. Why not just play it outside, you know, at at Kinnick and and let the let the snow do its thing. That would be a fun fun game to watch. I think. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I'm going to have Dargan on next to talk some women, but appreciate your insight on football and men's basketball. Hopefully, I'll see you Friday night. That's the plan, unless uh, you know, unless I80 is just too chaotic on Friday. But we'll see. Uh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yep. Coming up next, I'll be joined by Dargan Southerd. We'll talk some Iowa women's basketball on a big week ahead here on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO, podcast-only edition. I am your host, Chad Leistico, columnist for the Des Moines Register. Happy to welcome in Dargan Southerd, who covers Iowa women's hoops for us and obviously was our Tennessee football expert in the last month. But today we're just talking hoops. No more Tennessee, Dargan. Uh, I know you're... Yeah, I don't... <laughs> Go ahead. I don't think anybody wants to talk about that. <laughs> uh, we are, as, me, maybe. as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show with Tyler Tashman, uh, we are recording this on Wednesday morning. So Dargan is uh, en route to West Lafayette where the Hawkeye women 
number three in the country, uh, fifteen and one, will take on the Purdue Boilermakers at seven o'clock on Peacock. Uh, what do you? A tricky game tonight, Dargan. Purdue always seems to give Iowa trouble. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, there are certainly some trap game elements to it. You know, obviously a big game on Saturday, um, uh, going into another road environment that's going to be sold out. And um, I would imagine there's probably going to be fewer Iowa fans here tonight than there will be, than there was, you know, at Iowa State maybe or Wisconsin or some of the closer trips. But, uh, yeah, Purdue's eight, uh, you know, it's Purdue's kind of had a, a weird beginning they're 8-0 at home, but they've played two ranked teams and lost by a combined 80 points. So, you know, it, it's a game that Iowa should take care of business and should be able to flex its muscle and, and you know, even if it's close early, pull away and, and put the game away when it matters. But um, if they don't come ready and prepared, then, you know, it could look something more like last Tuesday where, Caitlin had to save the day and avoid uh, an upset there. So another nice test here early in Big Ten play. You mentioned Caitlin Clark. Obviously, that's the centerpiece conversation anytime you talk about Iowa women's hoops. Uh, just another week for her, right? Got a cereal box and her name on a cereal box. I mean, that, that brings back childhood memories of Jordan and Wheaties for me. And, I know. Uh, that's just crazy. Crunch time. I, I so like the name. So that's like its own cereal brand, right? Like it's not like it's a – I mean, it's like a hy V cereal I, basically. Yeah, I believe it's a, like a hy V brand cereal that they created. Okay. Um, I don't think Crunch Time existed. <laughs> that's why I didn't. Uh, I didn't think cereal. so, but I'm, you know, I'm a no. little rusty on my child's children's cereals, <laughs> you know. I get my cereals from Aldi pretty much, um, you know, the, the knockoff brands. Uh, except right, for Honey Nut right. Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios is you can't you can't go knockoff on Honey Nut Cheerios. I agree. That's a staple of my son's uh, breakfast. <laughs> anyway, you're you're heading into the kind of the eye of the uh, uh, women's basketball storm in a sense because uh, we will get to the Indiana conversation here shortly. That's who the, who the Hawkeyes play on Saturday in Carver. But uh, you know, there's a lot of Caitlin to the Indiana Fever talk, and and I know that. She's going into the state of Indiana here. So do you do you imagine that being – I'm sure she's going to get some questions after the game, right, about, uh, you know, her, hey, what was it like being in Indiana? Can you picture yourself here next year? You know, those types of things. But, well, even on top of that, I believe um, the Fever staff is supposed to be in the building tonight. So that, that would be one stop. Uh, they came to Iowa City for the – I believe it was the Loyola game. And then – you know, we'll be in there tonight, and I'd imagine they'll probably be in the house when they play at Indiana later in the year. Um, you know, it's interesting. Caitlin is, has done a good job of acknowledging that she has a decision to make, but she isn't really going to have that at the forefront probably until the season's over. But as we get closer to that happening, the reality of the whole situation, you know, comes into focus, and she does have a big decision to make because – um, you know, it's funny, I joke, uh, you'll see a lot of mock drafts that say that the Indiana Fever have the first pick. That's not true. Kaylin Clark has the first pick. <laughs> so Indiana Fever will be, you know, waiting on what she does and, and obviously, um, you know, doing all they can to show that coming out and, you know, being a huge name in the WNBA right away is something that is beneficial. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, Again, it started off as, oh, that thing, you know, that's down the road. But as we knock off the months on the college basketball season, it's definitely becoming more of a reality that Caitlin Clark will obviously have to, to deal with, uh, you know, at some point in the coming months. Well, and I think it's completely – it's fair to ask those questions, but it's also like, she, you know, you got to give her her space on this stuff too. I, I honestly believe that she's not going to make a decision until it gets close because – you know, you got to see how this season goes. You got to see where she's at with everything, you know, in her life and in her pursuits. Because she can be, she can be great again here at Iowa. She can go, you know, knock the socks off the WNBA next year, and she might feel like she's ready for that. Uh, who knows? But so that'll be a conversation over the next few months. But it, I mean, it basically seems like to me the Indiana Fever must be recruiting her. It's like almost like a, you know, official visits, and you don't have limits. Like coaches just come and 
watch the games. Isn't that what's happening? Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, and Kalen has mentioned that a few times that this process kind of feels like recruiting over again, um, and, and it's crazy to think that now it's a professional team recruiting her to try to get her to come basically take over their franchise and be the face of you know a team that's won a WNBA title but is obviously picking number one for a reason. So mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of hope. Um, I do think Indiana is, you know, if she does opt to go, I think Indiana is a good spot for her to land. Obviously, it's in the Midwest. The biggest thing for me is it's not like an overwhelming sports market. You know, you do have the Pacers and the Colts, but that's not a team that's, you know, those teams aren't necessarily competing for titles year in and year out. So I think there's definitely a, a opportunity for her to come to the Fever have that kind of take over Indianapolis and then kind of watch it manifest into a national thing, which is exactly what happened with her in Iowa. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit of, of women who's women's hoops now on the floor. Uh, Hawkeyes, you know, dispatch Rutgers pretty easily over in Piscataway. Another sold out arena looked like a zoo in a, in a good way in terms of just the attention that the Iowa women got. Yeah. Um, they improved to 15 and one, four and oh, in Big Ten play, I mean, through 16 games, Dargan, I know the schedule, you know, has been good, not great. I mean, you get Virginia Tech, a couple K-States in there. The Big Ten part of it has not been super demanding yet. But I guess just how do you size up them being 15-1 and one at this point? It's almost as good as you could have hoped for, even with, uh, you know, being the national runner-up uh, coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way Iowa's schedule broke down you know november was had some challenges but december was going to be a lot lighter overall and you know as you mentioned they've kind of had a nice ease into big 10 play a little bit but obviously the the tests are about to get harder um you know ohio state coming up on the road obviously saturday against indiana um you know you look around college basketball and even the teams you know on the men and the women's side a lot of times you look at the teams at the top and, you know, they go on these incredible winning streaks or, you know, multi-week, multi-month winning streaks, and then all of a sudden drop a game that, you know, maybe seems a little questionable or a little surprising um, in that regard. So, you know, I think they're probably going to drop a game at some point, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and that may that may not be the worst thing either, you know, because I do think that, as well as things have gone right now, there is another step for this team to take that it hopes to take by the time March comes to where, you know, you feel like the product that Iowa can deliver is one that can get back to the Final Four and, you know, hopefully get back to the title game as well. I think the most encouraging thing for me is Kate Martin has really become a scorer and Mm -hmm. seems to be embracing that role. Like when needed, like she knows she's not the number one scorer, but she's she's creating some stuff. And even with the left hand, I think she's up to what eleven plus per game, which uh, she's been right in that seven range for most of her career. So that's a that's a jump. And I th- I see Hannah Stolke with more confidence. So I think those two developments are positives. Um, you know, on the team, and obviously you're, you're seeing a lot of depth pieces as well. You know, the, the Sydney at Folters of the world. Kylie Fierbach here and there. And Molly Davis is, you know, I think become a really good player for the Hawkeyes now. So I kind of like those developments. You knew Caitlin would be good, and she's averaging 31-plus. So she's up to production as well. But what do you think about the complementary pieces and how they've they've kind of come along so far? Yeah, and I think one thing that really shines through with, with Kate Martin and, you know, kind of knowing her role is her and Caitlin's relationship is obviously very strong on the court and off the court. And so I think that helps with kind of the, the breakdown of, you know, when she can have a game where, you know, she scores in the 15 to 20s and, you know, really is that second option. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Gabby Marshall can string a couple of good games together. Obviously she has struggled offensively to start the year, had a, a bit of a breakthrough at Rutgers, but obviously Rutgers is not very good. So, you know, I do think she's going to have to round into form offensively for this team to feel like it has, you know, it's the best chance to, you know, go into March and, and make it happen. All right, last thing, Dargan, probably the thing we wanted to talk about the most, was, which is 
you know, short shelf life on the conversation since since Iowa plays Purdue tonight. But those listening to this on Thursday are going to get ready for Iowa against Indiana, the rematch of last year's buzzer beater with Caitlin Clark uh, throwing in the whatever it was. What do we call it? Like thirty feet, twenty eight feet, something like that. From, yeah, with one second to go. Definitely. Yeah, it was in that range. Yeah, so you know, this is the first matchup since then, right? They didn't meet in the Big Ten tournament nope. last year. So uh, rematch in Carver, uh, Fox telecast, so a national 7.30 p.m. broadcast. Gus Johnson on the call. I'm not sure how many women's games he calls, but obviously it's a big game uh, uh, that he's in the house. And uh I don't know. What do you expect? I mean, Indiana, good grief. They're thirteen and one, gonna be fourteen and one probably after tonight against Penn State. They're gonna be five and zero in the Big Ten by then. They their only loss this year is to Stanford. So not exactly a bad loss necessarily. That's a really good team, and uh, I think this is gonna be the first real big test of the year for the Hawks. Absolutely. And Indiana kinda had some, you know, results at the beginning of the year. You know, that Stanford loss was a blowout. They uh, struggled up in Maine um, in a game where McKenzie Holmes got to go back to her home state. So, But they've really kind of stabilized things and look like the team that will challenge Iowa the most at, at winning the Big Ten. And so, um, you know, it's all the elements are kind of there for a, a Caitlin Clark performance that gets added to the list of, of the greatest ones. And um, I'm interested to see if, if Gus Johnson uh, can match the Caitlin Clark show on the floor because that's a that's a that's a that's a tall task even for Gus so um, I'm sure he's happy to to be in Iowa City and have this opportunity but yeah it'll be a it'll be a great environment Saturday night Carver will kind of get to flex its muscle as well and and be that home court advantage that Iowa has has earned so should be a great matchup and looking forward to it yeah I think we'll probably see some clips like on the on the X on the Twitter you know, of Gus Johnson calling a Caitlin Clark, you know, logo shot, and it's going to be that that'll go viral. You know that. I yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, thanks, Dargan. Safe travels uh, to the state of Indiana, and we'll talk to you. I'll see you on Saturday. Sounds good, Chad. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Dargan. Thank you, Tyler Tashman, earlier, and thank you, listeners, for joining us on this edition of Hawk Central. We will talk to you next Wednesday night here on one hundred six point three KXNO. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.